0: Let's turn in our Bible to Philippians chapter 3. And we'll read together the first 10 verses. Philippians chapter 3 verses 1 to 10. Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Reading, of course, from the authorised verse. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit. And rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh. If any other man thinketh that he hath, whereof he might trust in the flesh. I more circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, Touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. For I have suffered the loss of all things, and to count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in Him. Not having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. Amen. We trust and pray that God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now my text this morning is taken from Philippians chapter 3 verse 9 and it reads, And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. And my theme today is entitled, Pondering the gospel according to the Apostle Paul. So you've got the text and you've got the theme. Now it's my opinion that Philippians chapter 3 is one of the key verses in this section. Remember the apostle has been sharing his own personal testimony to the church at Philippi as a way of refuting Some false teachers and heretics who had come into the church and were insisting that salvation was not possible for anyone who didn't keep to all the Old Testament ceremonial laws, starting with the rite of circumcision. Now remember, Paul was an apostle to the Gentiles. Under God, he helped found and plant many churches throughout the whole of the Roman Empire. And the majority of the people who responded to Paul's preaching were Gentiles by nationality. And after they got converted, then certain false teachers came along and said, You know, it's great you've got Christ. We're glad you've got a testimony. But in order to become true Christians, real Christians, you need to submit to the ritual of circumcision. You've got to observe all the Old Testament faiths. You've got to observe our dietary laws. You've got to live under the restrictions of the law of Moses. Now in Paul's day, these false teachers were known as Judaizers. He calls them dogs. He tells them, us, that they're evil workers. He, he warns us, beware of the concision. You see, they believed that membership of the church was reserved exclusively for the Jews only. And to be a true member of the church, to be in Christ, you had to be a Jew. The Apostle Paul's in prison. He hears record of what is going on, especially in the church at Philippi. And he knows that he has to do something. He's having none of it. He couldn't just sit back and do nothing. He couldn't stay silent. He knows all about the power and influence that false teachers can have and how it can rob believers of their joy and their peace and leave them guilt-ridden before the Lord. He knew the impact it could have not only in the souls of men, but in the life and witness of the church. So it is in this section, he's emphasizing that God's salvation doesn't depend on a person's Jewishness or adherence to rites and ceremonies of the Jewish religion. And that's what we read about there in chapter 3, verses 5, right through to 7. He sets forth himself as a great model of Jewishness. He says, look at my pedigree. I'm as good a Jew as any other man. Look at the fact that I've observed the ritual of circumcision. I was circumcised the eighth day. I'm an eighth day. Uh, look at my uh, race. I'm of the stock of Israel. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Look at my religion. Uh, touching the law, I was a Pharisee. Look at my achievement my respectability. I have all the Jewish credentials needed to find favor with God. I observed it all that I might please God and be accepted by him on the basis of my performance. But you know what? I discovered something. I discovered the greatest knowledge in the world. And that's what we read about in verse 8. The knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. And Paul says that for the excellency of that knowledge, I count all things that I have, all my performance, my best effort, as nothing. And then he goes on to tell us something else. He says, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. And as I thought about that verse, having moved on from verse 8 into 9, not only has he discovered the greatest knowledge in the world, but here's the heart of the gospel. The gospel message according to the apostle Paul is summarized for us in this one verse. And, And Paul's telling us, this is the goal and desire of my life. Having discovered as great as knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. This is what I want. I want to be found in him. Not having mine own righteousness which is of the law. But that which is through the faith of Christ. The righteousness which is of God by faith. Now there's three things in that verse that jumped out at me as I thought about it. Here's the first thing. The relationship that's established. Look at the words... And be found in him. Found in him. That's the relationship that's established. These words, in Christ or in him, are Paul's favourite description of who's a true believer. It's found some 90 times in his New Testament letters. In fact, In 2 Corinthians 12 and 2, he writes about a man in Christ. He speaks in Colossians of Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul thinks and focuses on Christ. Think of these words, in Him, found in Him. Now, what, what does that mean? As I'm saying, it's a reference to a special. Saving spiritual relationship with Christ It's a personal relationship A special relationship There's a big difference of course Of being special friends with somebody There's a big difference being By someone's side Especially in the hour of need and trouble And you think about family and friends in the day of trouble and how they rally round. And they're not only with you, but they're by your side. And they shed your tears and they feel your pain and they understand your need. Isn't that what we read in Nahum 1 and 7? The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. And know them that trusted in him. That happens to be one of my favorite verses. Now now it's good to have someone with you. It's good to have someone by your side. It's even good for someone to say, look, I'm for you. Your interests are mine. Your problems are mine. Your difficulties are mine. And isn't that great to know when we apply that to Christ, that not only are we with Christ, but Christ is with us on the journey of life. And that we are by Christ and Christ is by us. And he's there as a son and shield to strengthen and support us. And that Christ is for us. He can come and say, I am for you. We can also be for Christ. But that's not what the text is saying. It's not talking about with Christ or by Christ or for Christ. Look look at the words. And be found in him. It's all about being in him. Being in a special, saving, spiritual union in Christ. 2 Timothy 1 and 12 the Apostle Paul says I know whom I have believed Not not what, but whom You see it's about a person Christianity is all about Christ The Bible is Christocentric It it focuses on the person and work of Christ And and it's not just to know uh, about him It's more than having a a head knowledge of him. You can know about him and have a head knowledge of him and not be brought into a saving relationship in him. Let, Let me illustrate. Remember the story of Noah and the ark in Genesis 7? And God said, Genesis 7 and 1, Come thou and thy family into the ark. The ark was a place of safety from the fierceness of God's wrath and the judgment of the flood that was about to be poured out. In the ark, they were safe. And God gave the summons to Noah, come thou and thy family into the ark. And we read, of course, that God shut him in because it was God that shut the door. That ark's a picture of Christ. Outside there's death, darkness and depravity But inside there's refuge Inside there's safety And once Noah and his family stepped inside Individually, personally And in obedience to God's call They were one with the ark They were safe in the ark And that ark is Christ Think of something else The six cities of refuge Strategically placed in the land of Israel Three in the west bank, three in the east bank They were for somebody who had accidentally killed another person. Maybe somebody was chopping down a tree and the axe head flew off and hit the individual. And they were killed. Uh, The the chopper down of the tree, he, he would run to one of these cities of refuge. He hadn't committed a willful murder. It was an accidental death. But the moment he became aware that the person had died, he was run. Why? Because the avenger of blood of that man who had died's family circle would be hot on his heels. But once he would get inside one of these six cities of refuge, once he was inside, he was safe. The avenger of blood couldn't touch him. The avenger of blood couldn't take him. Men and women were under the protection of the high priest in that city. Christ is the ark. Christ is the city of refuge. Is it not a terrible thing to be without Christ? To be still in your sins? Ephesians 2 and 12, that at that time you were without Christ. It's a terrible thing to be without Christ. But but it's a truthful thing to be found in Christ. Here's one of two alternatives. In Christ is fulsome and fullness. Outside of Christ is foolishness. Now there's nothing more important. And I want to ask this morning, in which category are you? Are you found in Christ? Isn't this a wonderful message? That God's salvation is not found in the church. It's found in Christ, in Christ alone. And I press at home, are you in Christ? Was there a day and time in your life when you personally received him as Lord and Saviour? But as many as received him, to them give you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name? What Was there a day when you discovered that you've been brought into Christ? You see, God views, God treats, God accepts you Only in Christ. God hears you in Christ. God blesses you in Christ. Not because of who we are or what we have done. But in Christ. The relationship that's established. Notice something else very quickly in the text if you look at it. There's a righteousness that is expounded. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness which is of the law. But that which is through the faith of Christ. The righteousness which is of God by faith. Now notice in this text, Paul's telling us why he really wants to be found in Christ. Why this goal is so important to him. And he's expanding on this theme of being in Christ. And he begins to focus on the righteousness of God by faith. I want you to think of the provision of righteousness. Look at the text. This text speaks of righteousness. Two kinds, two types. There's a self-righteousness. A focus on one's own works and ability. Paul says, and they found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law. Remember, he's already told us that touching the righteous was in the law. He was blameless. And then he begins to focus not on a self-righteousness, but on the Savior's righteousness. And he's telling us that God has provided a perfect righteousness for the salvation of sinners. The Apostle Paul wants to be found in Christ, not having his own righteousness, which is of the law, but to be found in Christ with the righteousness, which is of God by faith. See, the teaching of the Bible is this. That sinful man can't provide a righteousness which satisfies Almighty God. But the great message of the book is this, that God himself has provided a perfect righteousness for the sinner placed in Christ. Sin has left men and women capable of pleasing God in the flesh. Despite man's best efforts, he discovers that all his human works are full of sin. There's not a just man that liveth and sinneth not, Solomon said. We're dead in sins. We're deceitful in sin. Jeremiah 17 and 9, The heart is deceitful and above all things desperately wicked. We're depraved in sin. The carnal mind is enmity against God, so they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Romans 8 and 7. Sinful man cannot provide a saving righteousness of his own with which to be accepted by God. And God in heaven knew this from all eternity. So he provided a righteousness which we need in his infinite mercy and in his great love and and in the the wonders of his sovereign grace. A righteousness which which, which we need. And that righteousness is found in Christ. Not only think of the provision of righteousness, but think of the preciousness of righteousness. This righteousness... Is exclusive in Christ It's founded on him We've got to ask ourselves On what basis has God provided it On what ground has God provided it If you look at the Text very carefully And ask yourself Whose righteousness is it And why has it Been made available And what way does it become ours If you think of the last word of verse 7 It refers to Christ If you look at verse 8 You've got two references to Christ Christ Jesus my Lord The last word in verse 8 is Christ And then we've got this tremendous statement And be found in him You see it's a reference to Christ And be found in Christ That's the literal interpretation And then in um, Uh, verse 9, you've got the reference to the faith of Christ. Four references in the space of these three verses. And he's taken up with Christ. The focus is on him. You see, this is a Christ-centered message. This righteousness God has provided is so precious that it's exclusively found in Christ. Isn't this what Paul says in the Book of Corinthians, in Corinthians chapter one uh, 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 and in the verse uh, thirty? He, he, he tells us there in Second Corinthians one and thirty, speaking about Christ, he says, But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. I just want you to think of two great things about Christ. Think of Christ's righteous life. He lived a life in a human body under the law of God. And during his time on earth, he rendered a full and perfect obedience to the law of God. Not just the easy bits, but the hard bits. He didn't merely pretend to keep the law. He kept it all, every jot and every tittle. There was not a single fault or flaw in Christ keeping the law. He kept it all perfectly. In fact, God said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And he was pleased with Christ's law keeping. We read of Christ. He did no sin. He knew no sin. In him was no sin. He was not able to sin. He was able not to sin. In fact, he says, the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. There's no sin that he can put his finger on as far as my life is concerned. Now, he Christ lived, of course, a real uh, flesh and blood body. And uh, in that real flesh and blood body, what we fail to do in keeping the law perfectly, Christ did. And thereby... By his righteous life, he he, he earned a a precious righteousness, a a, a perfect righteousness. You've got to think of his vicarious life. But also think of his vicarious substitutionary death. What was the penalty for the breaking of the law? Death, the wages of sin is death. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. And on the tree, our Lord Jesus Christ suffered The perfect penalty of the broken law. That's why we read in the Bible, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. The penalty that was due us fell in Christ. It was meted out to him. He fulfilled not only the demands of the law in keeping its precepts, but he fulfilled the demands of the law in that he fulfilled his penalty by his own death. And by his vicarious life and vicarious death, God in Christ has provided a perfect righteousness in his Son. A righteousness that is acceptable to him. And I'm saying this morning it's found exclusively in his Son Jesus Christ. And as sinners, we have nothing of worth to offer to God. We have no righteousness of our own that's going to please him. Remember, all our righteousnesses are as filthy as all the best that we can offer, the best efforts, the best thought, the best desires. We need to grasp that. You've got to understand this. We have sinned. We have failed miserably. We are under his wrath and condemnation. There's nothing we can do to present ourselves that will be acceptable to God. But the great message of the Bible is God has provided a righteousness that's so precious and rare that it's found exclusively in his son. The very righteousness of what we need. This righteousness is not only exclusive in Christ It's experienced in Christ This righteousness is received By faith alone Remember in chapter 3 here Verse 5 and 6 Paul tells us who he was And what he inherited And all that he had was self-centered His ritual, his race, his religion, his respectability But he discovered that that would not save him. That would not make him right with God. That the righteousness of God in Christ is imputed to those who believe in Christ. So therefore he must place his faith and trust in Christ. Because faith, remember, is the hand, the empty hand that takes the gift. Faith is like stepping out in the promise Faith is taking God at his word. Faith is embracing the free offer of the gospel. It's, it's resting and relying on Christ alone who said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. It's not faith plus works. It's not faith plus anything else. The moment a person trusts Christ, the righteousness of God is imputed And transferred legally to that individual's account Given that he's been brought into Christ And let me tell you something very quickly That happens immediately the moment you trust Christ It's an act, it's not a work Suppose I said this morning, well I've got an inheritance for you Suppose I said, well I'm going to give a million pounds to some individual in the church And then I give you a little now. I I write you a check for 100,000. And then next week, I'll give you another 100,000. And the week after that, I'll give you another 100,000. Well, that means you would get your inheritance over time in a a piecemeal fashion. But the righteousness of Christ is not like that. It's not given gradually in bits and pieces, little by little. No, once you trust Christ, it's immediately deposited, put to your account. You could say, but my faith is weak. It's of a poor quality. I'm full of doubts. I'm full of fears. I've got loads of problems. It's not the quality of your faith, it's the object. Is Christ the object of your faith? Didn't he say, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, it's immediately deposited? I want to tell you, it's eternally deposited. It can't be removed, reversed, or recalled. It's full, it's free, it's forever. And you need to stop looking at yourself. And you need to count all your self-performance and your self-worth as loss. And you've got to put no confidence in yourself and you've got to repent of that and reprove that and, and repudiate that. You've got to start trusting in Christ. You've got to flee to gr- Think of the Philippian jailer. Acts 16 verse 31. What was he told? When he asked the question, what must I do to be saved? Was he told to be circumcised? Was he told to become a Pharisee? Was he told to keep the law, join a synagogue, become a Jew? No, he was told this. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And there's the preciousness of this righteousness. Notice something else. The purpose of righteousness. Why? Why? The righteousness of God by faith. Because that's the only way a sinner could be legally justified before God. No man can make himself right by God. The church can't make an individual right before God. Righteousness of God by faith is by imputation. The imputation of the righteousness of God in Christ. If you have Christ... And you've been brought into Christ. Then you have the imputation of Christ's righteousness. And that means you're right with God. And that's the purpose. Remember the Bible says. In 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he that is God. hath made him that is Christ to be sin for us. Who so you know sin. That we might be what? Made the righteousness of God in him. Now I want to tell you just one final thing. We've thought about the relationship that is established. We've thought about the righteousness that is experienced. Or the righteousness that's expounded. I want you to think thirdly of the reality that is experienced. You see, if you go back to these words, found in him, ask yourself, what have we got in him? in Christ with a full and free pardon If he suffered the penalty For all our sins past, present and future Then we've got to say With the hymn writer What though the accuser roar of ills that I have done Even if he brings thousands of them To the fore And names them The Bible's answer would be, Jehovah findeth none. There's forgiveness with thee that thou mayst be feared. Wasn't that Luther in the dream when he the devil came to him with all the scrolls of his sins? And he took the pen and he wrote over them, The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth me from all sin. In Christ, not only do we have a full and free pardon, but in Christ we have peace, we have peace with God. We've got the peace of God. You see, God sees me in Christ, clothed in the royal robes of his Righteousness. And, and in Christ, if you think of the, the fullness of the word peace, safety, certainty, and enjoyment. That's what it means. In Christ, you're privileged. You can go directly to God. You can talk to him as heavenly father. You're his child. You've got the spirit of adoption. Everything you need is in Christ. You, you, you've been chosen in Christ. You've been called in Christ. You've been cleansed in Christ. You're cared for in Christ. You, you're, you're comforted in Christ. you here this morning and you need comfort. That's in Christ. And you go to God in Christ's name for that comfort. If you need counsel and help, then, then it's found in Christ. Not only is this true about life on earth, But think of the home that we have in heaven. Are we not assured if we're found in Christ and we've got a full and free pardon and we've got peace with God and we're so privileged that we can have access into the immediate presence of God at any time and we're complete in Him? Then surely nothing will ever keep you out of heaven. No devil in hell. No fear in our hearts. What about it this morning? Is this the reality that you're experiencing? I could talk on and talk on about the privileges that we have. The pardon, the peace, the privileges, the power, the purpose. It's all here. Is this your experience this morning? As you take your leave from the house of God, ask yourself this, is my sins forgiven? Have I got peace with God? If I'm so privileged, when last did I go and talk to God in private? Or come to the prayer meeting and talk to God? Think of Raymond Morrow in the prayer meeting. He would never have missed the prayer meeting. Not only in the faith union prayer meeting in Acton, but in his own church in Points past Baptist. He never missed a prayer meeting. And if he was going to be away, he told the pastor he was going to be away. Why? He believed in prayer. He he enjoyed the privilege of talking to his God. And you can talk to the Lord about everything that pertains to your life. Have you that privilege this morning? Does that whelm up in your soul? And even though your life's full of worry and trouble and problems, you can say, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry. Everything to God in prayer. And God in Christ will give us the power to live. God will put the desire in our heart to, to make progress as far as salvation is concerned. Think of this verse this morning. The gospel according to the Apostle Paul. A relationship that's established in Christ. Are you in Christ? A righteousness that's expounded. God has provided it. It's ex- precious. It's for a purpose. And I view this reality in your heart. This is what I've got. Because I'm in Christ. Praise the Lord. May the Lord take these few remarks and bless them to you this morning.